White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the The Blue Blue and and White White Brothers. Brothers. Two brothers. Two takes. One team. (laughs) Andy, are you convulsing? (laughs) No, I'm just dancing. Oh, my bad. It's catchy. It looked like Uh, a convulsion. Here we are, bro. And um, it's first week of January. And... um, you know, the start of a new year, 2023, and we have an opportunity to talk about 2023 from a Penn State perspective, but I thought I'd start with just asking you, Mm. you're welcome to ask me if you want, do you have any New Year's resolutions this year? Uh, Well, since I finished bicycle riding back in October, I have done zero physical activity whatsoever, and so my... It shows. um, yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> My new res- New Year's resolution is uh, I'll probably go on a little like diet and exercise situation um, uh, of the really aggressive variety, which is what I did last year as well. Uh, I'll probably do a little like um, cutting out uh, various vices. Um, I'll probably go uh, no alcohol for a month or two or longer, uh, as I did last January. year. Well, I didn't do January. I did like I did like dry February into March. Um, oh, and like uh, n- no alcohol for Lent. <laughs> well, I mean, there's various things on my calendar that that it, I have to. I have a bachelor party in Mexico. I've got a. Uh, <laughs> I've got a. I've, I've, I've got places I'm going and things I'm doing that you just you know you got to like partake. Got to work bit. around those yeah, kinds of things. So it won't be like a full blown <laughs> uh, abstinence of uh, things like that. But you know, I, I'll. I'll I'll really put on the um the workman workman like uh, habits uh, moving forward because I got a, I got a big year lined up for some of my adventuring and I got to take some some stuff pretty seriously so I'll have to work pretty hard to to, to be able to do all that so yeah yeah that's it that's all I got <laughs> what about you Andy do you have any New Year's resolutions. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gee, thanks for asking, Tom. Uh, yeah, no, actually, probably mine's, along mine's pretty similar. <laughs> <laughs> mine's pretty similar. When I saw you uh, in May uh, out in Ghost Ranch, New Mexico, um, I-, I was probably in the best shape of, you know, I've been in the last five years or so because I-, I was about to do a ton of hiking and I'm g- going to be on sabbatical. And um, since I got back from sabbatical in September, I have really not focused on that at all. And uh, so I, I'd, I'd like to get back to, to to getting in shape these next couple of months so I can have another summer where I'm enjoying a lot of physical activity. So yeah, per- pretty sure, similar. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's um, everyone's like, I, you know, New Year's resolution is like, hey, let's try not being fat. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, holidays well, just do this you know, to us. Um, it's funny because like, actually I feel like fall is the best time to be active, but, um, at least for me this year, I didn't have a lot of opportunity to be active partly because my family schedule is intense. I spent a ton of time in the car driving to and from school events. And, um, so, um, both of my kids are in fall sports, but they're not in winter or spring sports. So this is actually have more free time when the weather's worse to, to be physically active. So take advantage of that and see, sure. see how it goes. Sure. I'm actually not a huge fan of new year's resolutions, but yeah, I mean, um, it's a timing works out for my schedule. It's time same, to get same. in gear. 
<laughs> anyway, um, well, hey, this is our last episode of the 2022 season. I know we're in early 2023, but we um, are coming off the heels of a great Rose Bowl victory, an 11-win season for Penn State. And um, we're going to take this last episode to talk about what, you know, the accomplishments of this year all things considered, what what does it say about what we hope to see next year? And that's, you know, a lot of the storylines coming out of the Rose Bowl are really like, what does this say about the upcoming year for Penn State? So we're going to spend the bulk of this episode talking about that. Um, and uh, before that, we're also going to get into the mailbag. We actually have three mailbag entries for our final episode of the season. And um, why delay is one of our favorite moments. Uh, let's go ahead and open the mailbag. Mailbag time. Our first mailbag entry um, is uh, from our most faithful mailbag contributor. This is Joel Bettner, and here's what he says. Uh, It's a rather lengthy entry, and I've edited a little bit, but uh, I'm going to just read it out for you, and you can respond, all right? Uh, Joel says, no, would you rather today? Instead, here are my takeaways from a great trip to the granddaddy of them all. First, kudos to the Utah fans. They showed up in force. They cheered well. They were a great group to meet and chat with before and after the game. The scene leading off to kickoff was spectacular. The anticipation was punctuated by an incredible flyover. And the team played their best, most complete game in years and were rewarded with a win after a hard season of work. The Cincy kid capped off his long QB tenure in Storbuck fashion, played his best game ever, and became a role model for hundreds of young boys looking up to him. But more than anything, the reason this Rose Bowl experience exemplifies what it's all about is because the game brought together four lifelong friends, which was for me the first time in 20 years that this happened. A little bit of our youth was recaptured as we shouted, hugged, high-fived, and laughed. We grew up playing football together, being Boy Scouts together, going to Penn State games together, and here we are decades later still doing it. Lifelong memories were made with some of my best friends, and just like the hokey pokey, that's what it's all about. <laughs> that's uh, that's Joel Bettner's final mailbag entry for the season. Uh, what what do you have to say to that? Uh, I mean, I, I I hadn't read the mailbag. I mentioned all this stuff kind of you know, in, know. In, the, in the prior episode, in the last episode. Um, not to steal your thunder, Joel, but yeah, I mean, I I couldn't, I couldn't. I, I have memories of, of of me, Cody, and Joel going to games together. Um, I won and and, and Phil, of course, and, and one that um, I'm reminded of is I came back from the Marine Corps one weekend for a snowy game. I actually don't even remember what game it was. I, I must have been in like a 2006 or seven, um, maybe even 2008. Um, no, not 2008. I was in Iraq for that. But um, but Carolyn joined. So me, Carolyn, Joel, and Cody all drove. You know, 192 to the game, and it was a a a, a, a like a sloshy mess. But but I just we took a bunch of pictures for the game back before smartphones were a thing, and we just had a blast. It was cold and it was wet and it was snowy. But like I remember being together. I don't even remember the I don't even remember the outcome of that game. I just remember being together and having a great time. Um, because that was back when we still had season tickets in our family's name, and that would periodically like you know. Ha- 
allow other people to use those tickets. Um, and and this just will keep this, you know, going forward. A game like this and 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 being able to to maintain this, you know, camaraderie all through Penn State football. I mean, it's because of uh, the prior generation and our lives. You know, our our uncle, you know, uh, Jim McCord, rest in peace. Um, you know, he was blocking for Franco Harris back in the day. Franco also, you know, of course, rest in peace. Um, but like, you know, just f- generational memories that, that we can continue to pass down. And I know Joel's kids are listening to this podcast. They're dancing to the little jingles that you've created. Um, and so we're <laughs> really kind of, you know, keeping the the torch strong to be able to pass on uh, to future Penn State uh, fandom generations. So it's, it's great. Keeping those memories going is, yeah. is, is really fun. And, and it does it it makes you think how how uh, such a in some ways silly thing totally, can uh, can, can bring people together like this it's, yeah. it's really cool um to those that don't understand it I, it's so it's too bad that you don't understand it but you know it's just it, it is a thing you know we talk about family we have a penn state family um it it, it doesn't it, it spans beyond the sidelines it spans out of the locker room um where you know franklin always says you know we're all we're all in this together and in a lot of ways we really are so um, I'm, I'm very happy to, to, to continue my, my journey as a Penn state fan, uh, contributing to this podcast, especially and, <laughs> and, and making, and turning this, this, uh, love for Penn state football into new and different things as I, as I, you know, I'm turning 40 this coming March. So yeah, yeah. join the club. Yep. <laughs> well, um, Joel, thanks for writing in and it's been great having you along for the ride with Blue and White Brothers and I uh, look forward to uh, connecting with you next season on the podcast. Um, speaking of uh, folks who've connected with us previously, uh, I've got another mailbag entry from Scott Hagerman, who's written in a few times previously. Um, he had a couple of comments about the game, including uh, giving some love for Sean Clifford. Um, and then uh, he continues with this. He says, uh, no trivia questions from me this time, but I wanted to bring up the topic about the two Big East bullies going one and done in the playoffs again. The Michigan game was a bit of a shocker, and Ohio State at least showed up. Rumor mill has Jimbo Harbaugh taking on an NFL job. I would not be surprised if the right offer is made that he would jump. I give it 60-40 odds that he leaves. What do you think? Um. Well, <laughs> right now, and we're recording this on, what is this, Thursday? Thursday, the what is the, what day? What, what day of the year is it? January, it's January fifth. January fifth. Um, and as of today, there's been really no movement on on like these conversations that he's having with the three teams that are looking for a coach at least currently, and that would be you know the Denver Broncos, the uh, Carolina Panthers, and the Indianapolis Colts. Now Jim used to play at Indianapolis, so there's a connection there. Um, and there's um, so there's a, a, strangely enough there's a connection with Denver uh, in that Condoleezza Rice, I believe, is part of the Denver ownership group, um, and Condoleezza Rice was connected to Stanford uh, back when Jim was coaching at Stanford before he took the um, the 49ers job. So there's a strange connection there. And I know for, for excuse me, I know for certain that Jim has talked to uh, Tepper, the owner over at um, the Carolina Panthers. So, and, and there's some people, some insiders have said, you know, that people close to Jim um, are saying 
that if he gets an offer, he's going to take it. Now, I've also heard from other people that are quote unquote insiders that do not believe that he's gone at all. You know, Jim has said that this is not going to be an annual thing every year. And here it is being an annual thing every year. Um, and he definitely was, he, he personally interviewed for the Minnesota Vikings job last year. And he ultimately was not uh, given the job. The interview, uh, you know, process might have gone great, but they liked the other guy. And I forget the guy's name over it, um, who, who got the job at Minnesota. And he's had a decent year. Um, but Jim, he flew up to to Minnesota, the Minnesota Vikings, on National Signing Day last year. He wasn't even in-house for National Signing Day. He was up there trying to get the Minnesota Vikings job. So you got to think this guy wants to go back to the pros at some point. And I, the, uh, the question will probably remain uh, until we hear anything is just like, does he are, do any of these jobs actually interest him and or and or are any of those jobs actually interested in him as well so um you know i i personally think that where there's smoke there's fire um uh, it, but it's not like it's a, a sure thing one way or the other there's a lot of stuff that goes into you know you know interviewing for these things you know contractual things that that might get in the way um you know how much power is J uh, Jim Harbaugh going to be given if he if he's uh, extended a contract because i know at the um you know when he was with the 49ers while he went to i think three straight uh, NFC championship games and went to a super bowl he rubbed people the wrong way and not necessarily was run out of town, but I, I think it was like a, he was happy to kind of leave and, and come back to Michigan at that point. Wow. That's a lot of information about Jim hey, Harbaugh. That's you, what, what do you want me to say? You asked <laughs> Shane or <excuse laughs> actually, me, Scott, Scott asked, Scott actually asked. Scott asked, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to say three things really briefly. Number one, it. if I'm Jim Harbaugh, Definitely take the Colts job if you want to go to the NFL. The other ones are trash. Mm. Secondly, um, I love that Michigan face-planted for the second year in a row. This year, with his chosen quarterback, who threw two pick-sixes, and uh, maybe, just maybe, he has done all he can there and might need to leave. Third, I hope he comes back and continues to find ways to blow it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thanks, Scott, for the uh, for the uh, write-in, and uh, thanks for joining us uh, over the years with your um, with your mailbag entries. Um, we close with uh, Shane Dowd, who's written in a few times, um, and he's presented some statistics for us to talk about in the past, and um, he's done that again, and he sent along a graphic. You've seen it already, bro. Um, of the last um, seven New Year's Six lineups with the teams that won those New Year New Year's Six graphics, it was tweeted out by I think Fox Sports a couple weeks ago. And so he says he um, this. I thought this graphic was fascinating. Only four teams have won more New Year's Six bowls than Penn State since 2014, uh, who has three: um, Alabama with seven, Ohio State with five, and Clemson with four, Georgia with five. We give Franklin a lot of grief about the CFP, but he's more than holding his own when it compares when it comes to winning major bowl games. Franklin with a three and one New Year's six record. Worth noting, a certain Big Ten East foe who we were just talking about isn't even on this graphic. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's three and one in New Year's six games is not a bad record. Um, zero and six for your last uh, six postseason games for Jim Harbaugh. That's a bad look. Uh, that's a trend that's more than a trend at this point. 
So, you know, yes, hats off to Franklin. Um, it, it bodes, I think. It, I mean, only four other teams yeah. are better than Penn State in this stretch. And those are the those are the teams that we can't stop hearing about in Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. Well, we're so, going gonna to talk more about what that means for the future because I, I know that, like, um, uh, we're talking about, like, hey, we're knocking on the door. And this 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 statistic shows that we have been knocking on the door. And and that's promising. But we'll talk more about what what that means. Uh, we, we can't be just knocking on the door forever. And we'll get into the, that kind of discussion moving forward in this episode. But I just want to say, Andy, real quick, uh, and, of course, Scott, Shane, Thank you so much for being, you know, uh, contributors throughout the season. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, it's a lot of fun getting different takes from different fans. Uh, but I want to jump back to Joel real quick. Um, Joel made a okay. Joel made a um, a proposition to us at here at Blue and White Brothers. And Joel's proposition, oh. and he doesn't know I'm saying this, and you, I haven't even told you this, of course. Um, no, this is I'm I'm a little worried. <laughs> he, Joel wants his own segment. <laughs> Joel wants his own. Joel wants his own segment, and I don't know what we're going to call it or what it's going to be. But he basically said, uh, and I'm going to butcher this as far as what he actually wants out of this segment. But he wants a segment where it's like him coming up with unique statistics and and having a little Joel's statistical segment. Um, and uh, you know, so maybe that's something- you know why he's asking for this. Why <laughs> he wants his own jingle. <laughs> That's, <laughs> he told me his daughter. That's he told us his really daughters are always at. dancing to the jingles and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, sure, if he can come up with a good jingle and a good name of his segment and come up with good, you know, um, relevant and interesting statistical information, I'm not opposed. What do you think? Uh, well, I just I think you know we are we can be bought. Let's just put it that way. We can. <laughs> we have zero sponsors and zero financial support. Well, well, so someone really. So so if Joel does this segment, we got to pull him out of the mailbag. Well, that just puts the burden of the mailbag on our listeners. So that the listeners have got to step up and come up with more mailbags for us. Then more questions. Uh, personally. I've been really gratified this year and and um Scott and Shane and, and a couple others throughout the year have actually And Rudy. Yeah. Um it's been it's been nice having having I mean Joel's been the standby, but um yeah, it's been really fun this season watching uh, that mailbag grow. So um yeah. that's a that's an interesting proposition. Um we'll we'll we'll, we'll have to discuss it. it in our off season meetings, but <laughs> um that that'll do it for the mailbag uh for for this episode as well as for the season. Um thanks again for all you uh, mailbag contributors. And I want to to turn our attention now to that question of like what this all means um you know the season the the Rose Bowl win and i want to start with just kind of you know we're not going to know ex- exactly what the poll number is today we got to wait for that final um to to take place where we know what the final poll numbers were going are going to be but i think we're pretty we can give a pretty good guess all right um, and so, Tom, you and I were talking about where we expect to land in the final rankings, and um, this is what we came up with. We believe, based on the other results of the bowl games, that we feel like it's a pretty good uh, chance that we come in ranked seventh at the end of the season. Okay? Yeah. So, the 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 winner and the runner-up in the final will be one and two, and then I would have, as number three, Michigan, number four, Ohio State, based on their in-season uh, game where Michigan beat Ohio State. Then you'd have number five, Tennessee, number six, Alabama, again, based on their in-season results. And then right behind, uh, you have number seven, Penn State, um, with really, you know, kind of the best 
New Year's Six win in terms of uh, being an under uh, underdog team to win, uh, you know, against a higher ranked team, followed by number eight Washington, number nine Tulane, and then I would I don't know who ten could be. It could be any of a handful of people. Probably Clemson. That's sort of what I think it's gonna be. Um, so let's just assume a number seven result for Penn State. By the way, I think that's our best final result since uh 2016 is that right yeah since uh the we 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 were ranked fifth uh going into the rose bowl game if we had won uh, we probably would have finished fifth but we lost um so winning this game bouncing us over top of you know usc clemson um and utah and and then i think uh in kansas state and that puts us at seventh that that w- winning while climbing in the poll I, to me feels better than losing and dropping in the poll as far as a final season ranking it just it's more momentum it's just it's i, I know it doesn't really matter the 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 actual ranking as as far as like what what that means for next year um but for recruiting it it, it kind of does you know i mean truthfully um aside from the teams that made the final like uh, who in the top seven feels better about their season than Penn State? You know, number five, Tennessee had a shot um, and they blew it and lost their quarterback. Number six, Alabama, like thought they were going to be in the final and they they stumbled significantly. And then, you know, they played well, a, an undermatched K-State team. I mean, Penn State, to me, of all those teams, ha- you know, outside of maybe Tulane in the top 10, uh, besides the team that wins it all, Penn State's got to feel as good as any of those teams. I mean, if if you're gonna like look at the losses alone for the other two teams, excuse me, the other teams that have two losses, like our two losses are the best two losses. If you're gonna say, oh, these were good losses, and I know Michigan blew us out, I get it, but Ohio State, um, you know, they they made the CFP. Michigan won the Big Ten. They made the CFP. And no matter if you want to, you know, complain that they then lost in the semifinal, like, they played very competitive games uh, against the other two top four teams, and that's who we lost to. Two CFP teams. Like, Alabama, who they, they lost to, like, what, LSU and Tennessee, right? So, LSU, they were ranked 17th going into their postseason game. Um, so, like, they, they didn't lose to two CFP teams. They lost to two teams that are, you know, ranked one in the top 10 and one in the top 20. So, uh, and, and if you if you want to point to, like, I don't know, uh, TCU losing to K-State, you know, they – they, they 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 got embarrassed by Alabama. So all all that to say, you know, just if you're gonna like point to the losses, they're the best losses, you know. So and I think that climbing ever since those losses, Penn State has been scoring at will in, in our games, and they and playing really strong defense. So uh, you, you just gotta love it. You just gotta love where where, where this team is trajectory wise, and how they closed out the season, um, regular season, and how they closed out their bowl season. Yeah, so I think this sets us up really, really nicely for next year, okay? We're definitely one of the highest-riding teams um, not in the college football playoff, for sure. You know, we're coming out of bowl season with a win against a top-10 team. Um, You know, we're going into that bowl game with a lot of questions about whether or not we could, you know, beat a top-10 team. We didn't have a signature win. We didn't have a top-tier victory. Well, guess what? We answered those questions emphatically. You know, meanwhile, you think about the other folks in the Big Ten, you know, Ohio State, they've lost the game two years in a row, plus they lost... uh, their 
uh, college football playoff game in heartbreaking fashion on a botched last second field goal after giving up a 14 point lead. Um, you know, they're seeing some of their key pieces leave, including CJ Stroud. Right. And then meanwhile, university of Michigan has had tremendous seasons two years in a row and then face planted in varying ways. in the last two college football playoff, this was Michigan's year. They had a perfect season. They dominated every single game in the big 10. And then they went and bungled their game with, you know, their two defense pick sixes. Didn't, they didn't missed stand multiple up. scoring their, opportunities. Their defense didn't stand up on the biggest stage. I mean, they, they played very stout against Ohio state and shut Ohio state down um, pretty decisively. Uh, but they just, they couldn't. They couldn't keep uh, TCU out of the end zone. They really couldn't. That's really what it was. So, meanwhile, Penn State is hitting their stride on both offense and defense. We finally seem to have figured out, you know, how the offensive line is supposed to play in Mike Yersich's offense. We finally got a balanced rushing attack in Mike Yersich's offense. Uh, Manny Diaz, Lord willing, he sticks around. By the second half of the season, our defense seemed to really figure out how to play in this, you know havoc downhill hard hitting you know a scheme we're a young team with lots of talent all of our best players were true freshmen this year and they're just getting their feet wet feet wet hungry to make an impact and at quarterback we've got you know one of the top talents in the in his recruiting class coming in to take the reins so all that said bro <laughs> what are your expectations for Penn State in 2023 in light of this season and in light of this Rose Bowl win? Uh, 15 and 0. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I mean, that's, that's, I, wouldn't, I, I predicted eight and four this year and I'll never go, I'll never go against an, an undefeated, uh, you know, prediction ever again. Um, so, um, yeah. So, you know, the Drew okay, Aller, well, I guess that concludes our podcast. Yeah, that's because... it. <laughs> 15 and 0. <laughs> um, Nailed it. No, so Drew Aller certainly is a big part of the excitement moving forward, but you know, one one player we didn't mention in our, our previous episode in the Rose Bowl recap, we didn't mention Abdul Carter that much. Um, you know, he was a true true, true freshman uh stalwart, standout, linebacker you playing uh wearing Lavar's number and and like man did he jump off the page Utah neutralized him by and large. He made a couple of splash plays, but he did not have the type of game that I think we were all hoping he would have. And to me, I, I kind of think, you know, retroactively uh, looking back at it, I, like maybe that's a good thing, at least in terms of like, uh, oh, I want to be hungry so that I can, you know, per the, the best players make, you know, the best plays on the biggest stage, right? Um and Abdul kind of was was you know lacking that big play in the in the, the Rose Bowl, and so I'm hoping that makes him hungry. Um, you know, I hope that you know Lavar Arrington had a very splashy freshman year, played a lot on on um, on special teams, and made a lot of plays that way. Micah Parsons never started a game his freshman year. Abdul Carter like took over the starting job this year and and was our leading tackler. Um, so you know I, I just got to think that he's got way more in the tank, way more to prove going into next year, and he's got two seasons to do it. And I'm excited about that, but I also am excited um, to see what Nick Singleton has in store for his follow up campaign because. Uh, let, let me give it to you this way. Uh, Singleton joined Saquon Barkley as the only PSU freshman uh, to reach 1,000 rushing yards in a season. 
And he that's crazy. He man. was only 15 yards behind Saquon in rushing yard yardage total. He did he did it, and he did it on I think 32 fewer carries. Which, by the way, the way Nick Singleton was used, you know, with Catron Allen, 15 carries is a full game for Nick Singleton in some cases. He only, had one, he only had one game rushing for over 20 carries in a game. So if you could give Nick Singleton um, two more games to rush this season as far as carries, you know, 32 few carries than, than uh, Saquon Barkley, dude, he might have like 1,200 yards. You never know. Like, with the way this guy can reel off long runs. He also, you know, given that he had 32 fewer carries, that means his rushing uh, yards per yards per carry was 6.8 on the season. That's like elite territory, dude. Like, I mean, I think what Kajana had, like, I think 7.2 for his career. If if Singleton can improve upon his um you know like break breaking tackles and and becoming more effective and and being leaned on more not to take anything away from Katron or anything like that but but the sky's the limit for this kid and and much like how Saquon after his freshman year uh went into the offseason and really I think the coaches challenged him the strength coach strength and conditioning coach challenged him and I think Saquon challenged himself to become a far more complete back from a uh, uh, pass blocking standpoint from a pass catching standpoint from a kickoff return standpoint from you know all these angles uh, of becoming a more complete running back I think Nick Singleton will challenge himself and I think even Saquon working with Nick Singleton whether it's like via Zoom via on the phone these guys talk a lot uh, I'm sure Saquon is going to be giving him hints and tips and you know advice on how to become better. That's really what Saquon did to take his uh, game to the next level was the, the difference between his freshman year and his sophomore year was all the work that he put in to become the strongest, fastest, biggest, best, you know, in every category at Penn State he possibly could. Um, and that's what we enjoyed with Saquon. It was just his desire to compete and be the best in every single facet of, of being a Penn State running back. And just to put that in perspective again um, with Saquon Barkley, he was the feature back that year. True. Yeah. And the other two running backs um, that he split carries with, Akeel Lynch and Mark Allen, uh, combined those guys only had 383 yards. Right. So Saquon Barkley got the vast majority of carries and the vast majority of yards, unlike this year where um, those carries were split. You know, um, with Katron Allen, it was impressive to see this duo um, rip off almost 2,000 yards together. And um, I think um, in terms of running back duos, they are third all-time in Penn State history um, in terms of total uh, rushing yards combined for running backs. It's a very impressive – and both of them are freshmen – and they split carries. It, you know, it was it's just incredible. And I, I don't think you mentioned it, by the way. Nick Singleton also set a freshman uh, re- season record with twelve rushing touchdowns. Right, right. Saquon Barkley had seven his freshman season. Right. So this twelve kind of blows that out of the water. I mean, just an unbelievable season. Oh, and by the way, all told, Catron uh, uh, had ten. So he beat Saquon's rushing total as well. I know it's <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you know, and, and I guess like you know. With Catron Allen, who, you know, because of uh, Nick Singleton's breakaway speed, I think doesn't quite get uh, the same kind of um, national attention. I still feel that uh, Catron Allen may be the more complete back compared to Nick Singleton. At this and stage. so to have both of these guys um, who could, 
each be feature backs in a major uh, program on the same team in the same backfield at the same time. It's absolutely incredible. And I do think, you know, sky's the limit and boy, we have been wishing and hoping for years and years for a decent rushing attack. And and I'm really excited about what this holds for next year, along with, I should say, uh, you know, a very, very competent and getting better all the time offensive line. Yeah. Yeah, with piece, key pieces coming back like Olu, Hunter Norzad's likely to take over Juice Scruggs' center position. Um, Drew Shelton uh, taking over for Olu when he got injured like as a true freshman is kind of unheard of. Um, so, you know, we got a lot of pieces coming back um, on that offensive line that, I you know, with, with another year under their belt, not just with the same position coach in Troutwine, but the same offensive coordinator yet again for a third season. So, you know, this offensive system is in place like solidified more solidified for an incoming like stud uh, pass um pass thrower and drew aller and you just got to think that you know for as much as we you know gave sean clifford crap for you know not really living up to expectations he was uh hampered by multiple offensive coordinators coming in and out of the, the 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 penn state coaching staff he never really got things going until this year you know, really, if you look at uh, some of Sean Clifford's numbers, um, you know, 29 passing touchdowns. That was, um, uh, what, uh, tied for second in pro- program history. 64 uh, completion percentage, third in um, Penn State football history as far as se- a season uh, statistic. Uh, 3,200, uh, 3,283 passing yards, which, by the way, that's not Sean's number. That's, um, I think, oh, by the way, these are o- the offensive numbers. These Excuse are team me. numbers. Team numbers. I apologize for that. Um that was tied for fourth in team history, uh, 433.6 yards per game, fifth in team history, 5,637 total yards, fifth in team history. The list goes on, 35.8 points per game. Um, tied that's for- the big one for me, Yeah, the turning of the corner here, yeah. you know, besides the rushing yards, which, which uh, you know, I thought were really impressive to add the rushing yards that we needed, um, but the 35.8 points per game. And... Um, we finished, um, you know, with Alabama, I think as, uh, the top streak in the country at 30 plus points per right. game. That's wild. Like we're tied with Alabama for the longest streak in the country of number of games at 30 points. So, uh, 30 plus points per game. So, so all that to say, Andy is, is your system. He he's had to like feel out this team. He's had to feel out these players and vice versa and become comfortable with this new uh, zone blocking scheme that your offense had to, you know, make your uh, trout wines, offensive line adjust to. So now that it's all the, the machine is starting to, to all like the cogs are all starting to work together. We're starting to see some of the results. Of of what what you know having continuity with the coaching staff can do, um, and that that's even and, and I think you know one of the things they talk about with bowl games the big advantage is the extra practice absolutely time. yes and you know we've seen many a year where you know especially for Franklin that extra time doesn't seem to be put to good use when it actually shows up on the field like right. you know our bowl game against Kentucky or our bowl game against Arkansas last year I think were prime examples of like what was that you yeah. Know? But this year seems to be put to very, very good use. And it, it, it to me, I think is a, a preview of coming attractions, you know, uh, a very, very competent, very um, effective, very efficient offense. And um, obviously we're going to have a new signal caller in there. We're, we obviously, um, you know, it's going to remain to be seen how, 
um, Drew Aller, uh, you know, performs in a full game situation where the things are, you know, it's really on his shoulders and he's calling out protections and he's making in-game decisions. But I think the the glimpses we've had of him this year is that he should be at a minimum, you know, uh, competent, if not, you know, able to excel. Um, he's a very talented arm. Uh, and, uh, you know, if he can do the decision-making right, if he can do the pre-snap stuff the way Clifford learned how to do, I think his post-snap talent and, and instincts can really actually take us further next year. That's my hope anyway, and, and you know, there may be some growing pains, but I, I really think next year could be a very exciting year for Penn State football. I think keeping uh, – keeping- Franklin's probably not only is he recruiting for the 2024 class and and maybe even closing out this 2023 class as the actual final uh, letter of intent day comes and I think it's February 1st, um, but like Franklin's probably recruiting his own players and his own coaching staff still to keep it all intact <laughs> yes. as well as possible um, because again if, if anything else opens up like the Michigan coaching job who knows if if Michigan comes calling for a guy like Manny Diaz or don't and, say it. Or, hey, you got to think that, that, that this guy just put together a pretty darn good year. And, you know, one of the reasons why we were so successful this year is that the defense played great. And you, you want, you want you know, guys like Abdul Carter to have continuity with his coaching because, you know, Manny, Manny is his um, position coach as well. And 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 just like your like how he was feeling out um, Clifford and these running backs this season, um, the all of it got better, and you got to think that Manny Diaz, if he's feeling out these defensive players, like maybe Abdul Carter's can be unlocked even further. Um, maybe Chop Robinson can be unlocked even further. Deny Dennis Sutton, um, maybe, and Kalen King. Who knows, dude? So uh, you know, as far as Drew Aller and and uh, this you know offense goes, you know, you're talking about maybe you know maybe big things are in store for Drew Aller in this offense. Uh, a big piece of that puzzle will be who will he be throwing to and yeah it's it's an important question well and i can't help but wonder if we've finally seen uh, keandre lambert smith who wears number one uh took it off their kj hamler wore it and it's you know typically revered for uh, a lot of wide receivers who think themselves to be very good wear that number you gotta wonder if he's finally turning the corner because he kind of has been underperforming last couple seasons he's had a lot of drops um he did not have any drops in this game in fact uh he, he played very strongly he even drew that um offensive or excuse me that defensive pass interference in the end zone that actually led to our first touchdown in the game um so let's not forget about that but you know going into the offseason after playing a rose bowl like that you got to think that he's going to want to feel like this is a stepping stone for him as far as getting better becoming the number one wide receiver and i know we're going into the portal strong we're trying to get a bunch of different guys we did get this devin carter from nc state who literally committed to penn state in the transfer portal right after watching penn state win in the rose bowl and watching you know keandre lambert's um wild performance um um, you know, but but as far as like, you know, being gr- born from within this this um, program, he's got to take it upon himself to 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 rise to the occasion al- along with this stud, you know, quarterback. You got to think that he's really going to be putting a lot on on his own shoulders to get better. And I certainly hope that is the case because I would just, you know, I'd love to see him find another gear and and have a have a you know whether it's 
Dotson, whether it's Hamler, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, like Hamilton before him and Chris Godwin or whoever, some of these guys that have gone to the NFL, they've made their mark in their junior or senior seasons. And I'm hoping that for him for sure. I mean, it would definitely be great to be able to blow the top off of uh, the passing game, which we really weren't able to do no, this year. I mean, absolutely that, not. That, um, you know, that long touchdown reception of the Rose Bowl is something we've been looking to see all year. So, you know, I also think like, I mean, it's, we know that Brenton Strange is going to the NFL. Uh, Theo Johnson is a bit of a question mark, although, uh, you know, if I had he's, to guess, he's leaning. I would say he's, he's leaning back. He's leaning back, coming I, back right now. So, but um, Tyler Warren hasn't hasn't said anything. I imagine he's coming back, and we got some very very good young tight ends um, who we haven't who haven't seen the field that much. And, I, and I by the think- way, as far as the tight ends go, the tight ends coming in. Um, and the recruiting class, which we can talk about uh, in, a, in a you know maybe a bonus episode, po- you know after the season is over, we'll talk about the recruiting class. But you know there's three th- three tight ends in this um, current recruiting class that have um, signed to Penn State. One of them, uh, Replia, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He could he could contribute immediately. Uh, I, some people think it was the best tight end haul in the whole country. So the tight end group is like you know <laughs> could be only getting better and that's saying a lot because we've had some really good ones come through Penn State yeah so I mean and the tight ends of course have been essential in the running game as well yeah. I all that to say it really feels like um we are we have the potential to take this year's offensive performance which really hit its stride in the second half of the season and take it to the next level next year with a five-star quarterback at the helm and you know potentially some better receiving options coming in it's yeah it just it's tantalizing to think about and especially coming off of a a really really solid Rose Bowl victory makes you think wow I wonder what next year could look like and it leads me to this question bro and um you know I know this has been bandered around a little bit um in in you know, our text group, but also just, you know, kind of in the interwebs. Um, there are a couple of seasons previously where Penn State had a very satisfying 11-win season with a New Year's Six Bowl. And um, the last of those, of course, was 2019, Sean Clifford's last New Year's Six win. And even before that, we were in the Rose Bowl, ended up being one of the best Rose Bowl games ever that we ended up losing, unfortunately, in 2016. Both of those seasons, we came away at the end of the season thinking, ah, what next? What could next year hold? And I'm wondering, you know, how does this season and this finish compare to those two? And, you know, which do you think it's more like or is it unique in terms of, um, you know, what we might expect next year? Well, it's certainly like, okay, you know, after losing, having those two losing, uh, well, not losing seasons, but like two, um, we were a 500 ball club the last two years combined, right? We dropped, we fell off the, the face of the earth, uh, given our success from 2016 to 2019. And in, at the end of 2019, we really thought that we were going to take the next leap with Micah Parsons, with Noah Kane, with Journey Brown, with Pat Fryermuth. And then all four of those pieces got pulled off the board before, you know, the, as, before or as the season was going off the rails. So it, it, yeah, it and of course that was the COVID year yeah, with all sorts yeah. of weird and, challenges. And Franklin has stated, you know, maybe they didn't adjust as well as some other programs did during COVID. So, so all that to say, uh, at, at the end of the 2019 season, when we had beaten um, Memphis in the Cotton Bowl, everybody thought like, oh my gosh, hey, we're on the cusp right now. And so people are saying at the end of this season, we're back to where we were in 2019. And I vehemently disagree. 
I disagree <laughs> because A, I think we're going to see a significant upgrade at that quarterback position. So where where I think we're, this is absolutely a jumping off point, a springboard point, much the way that 2019 absolutely was a, a jumping off point and or a springboard. could have been. Well, it, it was, and we did not leap. You know, we did not yeah, leap. Good point. Yeah. And it was because, you know, a lot of pieces got pulled off the board that we were going to be relying upon. If anything, I think we're it's more like the 2016 uh you know springboard season than anything cuz you know dynamic running back, right? Um we have we have at least a young group of receivers that that came in the the uh, in this last recruiting class that uh, that were dynamic in high school and could be dynamic at the next level and maybe they just haven't shown it yet. Um, maybe they just need to be given the opportunity. So could be some dynamic receivers coming back and we'll probably get some in the portal. I kind of feel pretty good about that, to be honest, but here's where it's really kind of different to me is our offensive line is probably going to be the key here. Yeah. So to me, the quarterback situation with the amazing running back situation with the ever improving, uh, depth and talent level at the offensive line position, we could be in. Let's put it this way: the ceiling for this team, as it's uh, you know going to be growing, you know, progressing and developing in this off season, the ceiling for this offensive team next year could be leaps and bounds higher than this particular uh, than, than that particular team in 2019, and even the one this year. Like I just think, I just think the the ceiling is higher. But so in 2016, you know. Co- going into that 2017 season, we were like, "Oh man, we're gonna we're gonna win the Big Ten again. We're gonna maybe make the you know the CFP," and we just couldn't get by Ohio State because, um, you know, they just were the better team. They here and they had a better quarterback. They had a better offensive line, and that was the difference: is the quarterback position. And you know, not to take nothing away from Trace, Trace, like we squeezed as much out of Trace as we possibly could. He overperformed. He overperformed given his recruiting ranking and given his athletic ability. We overperformed with him. and But I think we reached his ceiling in that 2017 year. We found his ceiling. He he could not, and maybe even in that Rose Bowl, we found his ceiling. He he could not elevate to the to the top level competition and, you know, c- construct, um, you know, game winning drives when we needed to. Um, so and, I don't know if I, I, I don't well, know just, if I agree well, with on, that hold on, assessment. I, I understand that you can have that, uh, you know, alternative theory, but, and, and, and to, to go back <laughs> to the offensive line, the offensive line also hampered that as well. Okay. So we couldn't run against Ohio State at the end of the 2017 season, uh, and the defense couldn't shut down and and close out. And guess what the defense did against Utah? They shut down and close out. So um, there's a lot of things to be really excited about to, to, to relate to both 16 and 19. But again, I just think our ceiling is going to be higher. That's not to say that Drew doesn't doesn't or won't have his growing pains and bumps and bruises, but the ceiling is going to be higher. Mark my words, it'll be higher. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that 2019 season um, is, a, is, you're right, it's not a good analogy for this, even though I think the feeling is similar because you came away with a win. Sure, and it's like, oh, we sure. finally figured some things out and we could get back to it. But, you know, I, I think 
the cautionary tale for 2019 is like, don't count your chickens before they hatch. You know, yeah. we're assuming like we're assuming that um, what we saw right now will, will continue next season. We're assuming that our key players will stay healthy, you know, and you know, 2020 was just like a, a comedy of errors in terms of like, you know, Mark, Micah Parsons opted out and journey Brown couldn't handle it. And we lost uh, more running backs and we lost, you know, offensive linemen. And it's like, what the heck? We didn't, we had a new offensive coordinator who couldn't, it even wasn't that journey Brown it, you know, couldn't so handle like, it. He had a heart condition. That's what I meant. I, yeah, okay. I didn't, right, I didn't mean right. to take away anything yeah, yeah, away I from, just wanted from, to clarify from so people didn't you know? think we were ripping but, on journey Brown or anything. No, 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 not at all. But, but, um, you know, I think w- how this is similar to 2016 is that in 2016, halfway through the season, the offense figured out the Joe Moorhead offense. The Joe Moorhead scheme finally got figured out halfway through the season. And yes, we were a second half team. And yes, we couldn't quite to put quite put full games together. But we looked forward to 2017 as a team that finally had figured out how to run an explosive Joe Moorhead offense. And I think even though it's in the third year of Mike Yersich next year, as opposed to the second year of Joe Moorhead in 2017, I feel like 2023, it comes on the heels of a team that has figured out how to play under Mike Yersich's system. Sure. And, and, you know, bonus, we have a competent offensive line. And that and, was the problem with the 2017 team where, whereas, whereas you are stating that like our offense figured out the Joe Moorhead system and started perfecting it. But with a bad offensive line, great defenses were figuring out the, the Joe Moorhead offense and sh- completely shut down. Saquon Barkley was, we were, he was always getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage in short yarded situations when we needed a yard to just keep a drive going to, to stay with another team. And it's like without an offensive line, the Joe Moore had offense crumbled against the the best competition T formation in 2017. Well, well, so that's a cool wrinkle, (laughs) but like the offensive line and the tight ends can block that block for us in that. And, 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 and to, one thing that Joe Moorhead offense didn't do and was always aggravating in short yard. We, we, we never went under center in short yarded situations. And it was like to our detriment because we're handing the ball off in the backfield, like three to five yards behind the line of scrimmage. And these defenses are just teeing off on both, you know, Miles Sanders and Saquon Barkley. And it just, it didn't, it, it, it never gave us an advantage with, without having the, that great offensive line. And I'm not saying we're going to have a great offensive line, but I certainly think that the offensive line was good this year and can get better. And I think that, that it, having that element and, and being able to go behind like, under center and be able to smash mouth football, some short yardage. I mean, that was that first touchdown was, what was it, like thir- three and two or th- third and five? What was it? I think it? it was like third and four or something like that. And, yeah, And it was on like the 10-yard line or something like that. And, dude, I mean, Singleton ran that with authority with blockers going into the end zone. Strange was blocking into the end zone on that play. So it was like we only needed four yards for a first down, but we got the touchdown out of it. Like we, Th- we can- Third and two at the Utah five. And, oh, okay, five. Um, yeah, my it was bad. A- it was still. It was a great run. It was a great play. Well, so, and, um, so, and so to 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 just real quick to to highlight how good this year's offensive line has been. You know, our our red zone offense has been bad in years past, and even in some yeah. Joe, the Joe. You know, we had to be explosive to score touchdowns. When we got into the red zone in in previous offenses in previous years, like we started wilting 
when when the, the when the field got shorter, when we had to play in a box more. And and you know what, Andy, what our offense did this year uh, in red zone red zone offense, we were fourth nationally in red zone efficiency with at seventy six percent. Yursich's offense. It, it, it might be geared towards a championship caliber type offense. Um, yeah, wow. And being able to pl- play and not just it being explosive, but playing in a t- in a box as well, right? Oh, wow. That's interesting to think about that, you know, and, you know, just to hear that you're number four nationally in red zone efficiency, like that is a huge statistic. Yeah. And um, again, early in the season, you just didn't get that feel, but by the second half of the season and, you know, it's like, oh, look at the competition that we played. Well, you know what? We put 31 points up against Ohio State and then 35 against uh, a Utah team that has one of the best defenses in the country and had shut down a very explosive USC team. So I think that's really interesting. I, um, you know, the other thing I was thinking, you're talking about this offensive line, which I agree is is good and getting better and, and had a huge uh, impact on the success of this year. I think... Um, you know, when you look at a team like Ohio State, for example, or uh, go to Clemson or Alabama, and you wonder how they can, you know, continue to reload with new quarterbacks and like freshmen, sophomore, you know, redshirt sophomore quarterbacks who are playing and starting for their first time are, are doing so well, like Bryce Young, obviously talent. You've got to have talent to do that. But the reason these young quarterbacks are able to have so much success is because they're well protected. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like to have a quarterback, even an experienced quarterback and a quarterback who has as much experience as Sean Clifford, when he's running for his life, you know, there's only so much you can do. And that's, I think when you were saying like Trace McSorley, you know, played above his, his level is because he did so well when protection broke down, which was like every other play, well, you know, Andy. So like, you know, Clifford, um, you know, his first year, you know, he, he, or excuse me, his first year, he played pretty well. Not that the offensive line was that great, but like the seasons where we were bad, uh, in, in 2020 and 2021, Clifford was getting banged around a lot so like the protection was not great for him and also he was running a lot more because we needed him to because our run game sucked the fact that we were able to rely on our you know young talented running backs with a competent offensive line it really took the pressure off of Clifford and he was able to complete the season without you know getting dinged up too much he only came out of that Purdue game briefly when Drew Aller came in he's basically healthy the rest of the year and you know when you look back at like say Christian Hackenberg who was like the most sacked quarterback in the country during his like final year you know it's just it's kind of night and day with how uh, you know what? A, what a competent offensive line can do for not just the run, you know, run game, but how that translates into what the quarterback can do, and how much stress you're taking off of the quarterback. And and w- when you have a new guy coming in like uh, Drew Aller, I, you know, not to say that he's immobile, but he's a six foot five, two hundred forty pound pocket passer. You're going to need to protect him. Olu Fashion is going to be protecting his blind side, and if he's not getting sacked constantly. With an arm like that, with a cannon like that, to be able to give his, you know, give the downfield receivers time to get open. Drew Aller can throw it into a window. He can drop it into a into a uh, you know a box. He can he can do whatever he wants. Just got to give him time. And and during the the you know the arc of his development, this next year is going to be critical because as we saw, Christian Hackenberg only got worse from his freshman year on because they never protected him. So having a good offensive line is going to be critical to seeing you know unlocking Drew Aller's t- you know ceiling and and beyond. So. Um- 
this brings me to a question, um, and this might be the way to kind of uh, close out this uh, discussion of, of what to expect in 2023. What do we need to do in the offseason in order to build on the success of 2023, excuse me, of 2022 and this Rose Bowl victory? Championship mindset, man. I think this this team is going to have a championship mindset. Um, and they 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 talk about it all the time. They say, "Oh, championship mindset." Champ-. But like, I really believe this year, you know, they're already they were they're they're talking about it in the build up to the to the Rose Bowl. The guys that are going to be leaving the program are talking about leaving behind uh, a team that they think can can win the Big Ten, uh, win the Big Ten East, win the Big Ten, beat the the two best. Uh, teams that that are above us in our our division go on and make the playoff, but but it's it's really all about the mindset of the players, basically from today moving forward. Like I mean, winter workouts are just around the corner already, right? And and you got this another really strong recruiting class coming in. You got the the number one, um, you know, interior lineman. Um, in Jevin Williams, who was tearing it up in in his um post bowl, excuse me, postseason bowl. What what is it like the All American Bowl or whatever it is called? Um, hearing really good things about his practice coming out of that game, and and if these guys who are like stud linemen are getting nurtured into the system in a championship mindset, coming off a Rose Bowl win with other you know top five. Um, offensive tackle tutoring him. Trout Wine, who was an All American in college, who you know tutored and and coached um, uh, you know All American offensive lineman at Boston College. These guys are going to know what it takes, and they're going to be able to teach these guys how to get there. And I think it's going to be critical to continue the the rotation of players at every level: offensive line, defensive line, receivers, linebackers, D backs, all of it. Just constantly getting this fresh young talent um, infused into the game plan and making contributions that are meaningful throughout the season, and you know the fact that all these you know young guys have seen what it, what you know a young a young true freshman can do and how they can how they prepare and 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 what what it means to to the to the team win, you know they're they're gonna think okay. If I just work as hard as they did, I'll be able to get on the field. And once they do, they'll start seeing success. And it just it snowballs and breeds. And I think Penn State is in a really, really good place with how they utilize their depth. And I think Penn State has a lot of very strong depth. And I think it'll pay significant dividends. And I, I just got to believe that these guys are going to like hit the ground running in offseason workouts, winter workouts, spring workouts, spring game, all that. And it'll roll right. Hey, dude, they got 11 guys in this class of 22 people so far coming. And, and you know, within the next week, I think they're enrolled. You know, so it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the ball is moving forward. You know, the next phase of Penn State football is practically underway already as it stands today. I'm sure of it. And I certainly think um, the workouts, the um, conditioning, uh, you know, you look at those two um, football, college football playoff games, um, the semifinals, like they both came down to the very last uh, series. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you have to be able to play complete games. Your defense has got to be able to close out games. Your offense has got to be able to um, go for the jugular, you know, when it comes down to the final two minutes. And you've got to be able to do it in the 13th, 14th, 15th game of the season if you really want to be in the championship with a chance to be national, um, you know, title contenders. I, I also think, you know, there was a, there was a letdown this year at, at when we were at, at Michigan. 
I think that was a big problem, you know, and, and I hope that was a lesson that this team will carry forward. Both offense and defense just just got trucked. And um, meanwhile, I think um, for Ohio State, those last nine minutes when we just we you made critical gaffes in critical moments. I, I hope those are the kinds of things you you need to be mentally and physically tough. And now is the time where you need to be willing to go through some adversity in the off season through your conditioning through your uh, you know, your planning stages. And I think the coaching as well, you got to do some self-scouting there. And it really felt like, you know, we've been talking about this for Franklin, do some self-scouting, figure things out, figure out how to do game planning, figure out how to manage your team, get them ready to play from the first snap. Something happened this Rose Bowl that we haven't seen in much of Franklin's tenure. And and I don't know if it was self-scouting. I don't know if it was just, you know, he caught lightning in a bottle or whatever, but to replicate that, Going forward, whatever happened, I think it'd be really important to see that and and see a team that is prepared for the biggest games. Andy, I think that, uh, and we'll wrap this up and, and kind of tr- start to move forward and closing out this episode, but uh, I really think that there, <laughs> that maybe there's, you know, CJ Stroud leaving, um, you know, Michigan, their deflating loss, like, see, you know, uh, Bryce Young graduating. Um, you know, there's a lot of vac. There's a vacation of like some of the best players in the country leaving, and some of the some of the like turnover could occur. And I think that maybe Penn State could could sup- usurp some of this uh, changing of the guard. And I and I really think that 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 there's a there's an opportunity here. And Franklin always says, you know, opportunities knocking. And I really think there is a there's a true opportunity here. I really do. I think with our young talent yeah. on offense and defense, I do think the Big Ten East is ripe for the picking. I, 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 I think really it's a, do. I think it's there. I think we're there. We have we have Ohio State on the road next year. Um, we play you know Iowa at home. We play Michigan at home. Um, I think this and we play West Virginia at home. Um, I think that we have a schedule that might line up uh, halfway decent. For for like you know pluck it like plucking Ohio State away without C.J. Stroud if this new quarterback comes in and, and you know Kyle McCord or whoever heck else they got on their sidelines who knows man if you can if you can beat Ohio State on the road in the horseshoe on October twenty first and especially if you go into that game undefeated which it looks like we very well could. We're going to be a top ten team. We heck, man, we might even be a top five team, depending on how some of this uh, preseason stuff shakes out. Um, but like the schedule lines up, man. Yeah, there's a couple of interesting things about the schedule this year. Uh, first of all, all three of our w- games against the West Division are three weeks in a row yeah. at the end of September. Right. We're away at Illinois, home versus Iowa, and away at Northwestern. Oh, man. And what's interesting about that is, you know, and by the way, that away at Illinois game, I'm really worried about yeah, right now. Yeah, there's, there's cause for concern um, there, whatever, but they lost their defensive coordinator. Screw them. <laughs> then we've got a bye week, and then we're home against UMass. So what? Like another yeah. bye week, basically, yep. Yep. in the middle of the yep. season. Yep, And then Before we have <laughs> all six games against the East Division Back to back to back to back. And to me, that second half of the season run right there, that's that's the whole thing. Yeah. You know, and we start away at Ohio State and then we run through. We get Michigan at home on the 11th of November, like you said. But, you know, we have a chance, you know, even if we drop, say, the game at Illinois or the game versus Iowa, if we can run the table in the East, I, you know, 
the Big Ten is ours for the taking. It yeah. really is. And and it's a it's I mean, it's like every schedule in the Big Ten East, it's a ridiculously challenging schedule. You you gotta be for real. You can't fake your way through it. Right. And, and that's what we tried to do this year. We tried to fake our way through Ohio State and Michigan. We didn't have our act together. We couldn't do it. But I think we have the pieces. We've got a lot of talent. We've figured out Mike Yurcich's scheme. We've got a defense that knows how to play under Manny Diaz, and we're not losing too many major pieces. Next year really could be a very interesting year. I'm not saying it's the only year we have a chance to do it in the next few. A Big but Ten next year, a Big Ten title is not out of the question next year. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to say we're going to win the the national t- t- championship or anything like that. It's too early for that kind of talk, in my opinion. However, yeah. the players are going to be practicing and and preparing like that's what they want to do. It's true, and you you know I think Michigan is a cautionary tale. Ohio State, for that matter, is a cautionary tale. Oklahoma is a cautionary tale. It's one thing to win your conference. It's one thing to get in the Final Four. It's another thing to actually be good enough to beat the two or three best teams in the country. It's like but, it's likely also the last year we'll have to play um, Michigan and Ohio State in the same division. I think next last true next year is the last year that we will have the divisions that we currently have, and and because that's when um, USC and UCLA will come into the conference. And next year is the last year for a four team playoff. It's going to twelve. It's true. So you know, so obviously you don't want to say, oh, let's just wait till the twelve team. Hey, look, no, no. I I really think you've got a chance to win the Big Ten next year. I think, like I said, the Big Ten East is ripe for the picking, and if you can win the Big Ten, you have. Almost a guaranteed, not necessarily, but almost a guaranteed invitation into that final four. Yeah. And and, and then all bets are off. So, yep. uh, you know, I mean, hey, Bryce Young won it his first year as, uh, you know, as a quarterback. And who maybe Drew Aller can, can Sky's catch the that limit same for that kind kid. of magic. Sky's the limit for this offense. Sky's the limit for this team, I think. It's all trending in the right direction. Let's hope it doesn't implode. Like, uh, we hope we don't have another pandemic going into next year. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Don't even say it. Yeah. Um, well, Hey, we, you, you know, we're done with Penn state season. Um, there is one final game. We were talking about the championship and could Penn state get there next year. The championship game for this year, or I should say for this season is still on the books. And I thought uh, maybe we'd close out by just giving a little bit of a, you know, a brief prediction about what we expect to see in that game. It's going to be the Horn Frogs of TCU playing uh, the Bulldogs of Georgia, who will be in their second final uh, in a row. They'll be playing next Monday night. And um, what do you expect to see in that game? They'll be playing just down the road from the Rose Bowl. I passed SoFi Stadium on my way to, to Pasadena from LAX. Um, and they just announced today that you will not be allowed to tailgate at SoFi Stadium for dumb. the national title. How That's stupid so do you... I, don't hold it in these pro it's stadiums. It's college football. Don't hold it in these pro stadiums. It's very stupid. And uh, I don't know. Long story short, I'm anyway. going to you to beat Georgia, even if they actually might not stand a chance. Who knows? But I, something tells me TCU is just kind of that team of destiny and i think losing the big 12 title game was beneficial to them you know there's a lot yeah, of the pressure. wake up call that they needed there's a lot of pressure on remaining undefeated and um much like the eagles this year who um you know they were all the talk was about are they going to go undefeated are they going there's so much pressure on a team that's looking for that perfect season uh losing that that big 12 title game i think helped them a lot and i think it really really kind of re- refocused and recentered what they uh what they are capable of doing as they evidenced by the michigan game um they're legit and I think that they are the, the the kind of team that like like might just be a tiny bit hungrier than a Michigan, tiny bit hungrier than a Georgia. And you know I could see Georgia winning for sure, but I, I'm pulling for TCU, and I think they actually can do it. 
So um, I won't do do too much analytical, um, you know, breakdown of it beyond that. That's just I think they'll win win a close game, and it could be anywhere. It could be like a forty five forty two type game. I mean, I'm really pulling for TCU as well. I I, I would love it. It's always fun to see a Cinderella yeah. season uh, come to fruition like that. I, you know, I have no interest in Georgia. First year you know, coach, uh, Sonny back to back. First year coach. I have no <laughs> no no interest in Georgia being back to back champions. Um, you know, earlier in the season we had said that uh, Michigan and Georgia were were built somewhat similarly, both offensively and defensively. And hey, TCU beat Michigan, so maybe. But at the same time, Michigan kind of blundered their way to that loss, whereas Georgia really played solidly against Ohio state. It played a gutsy win that Stetson Bennett eventually, you know, um, brought them back to victory. He's a much better quarterback, uh, than Michigan's quarterback. And so, you know, to me, my head says it's a Georgia win. My heart says go horn frogs. And, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that game turns out. Um, and that's going to do it for us, guys. Um, we we have a, a another season in the books, the third season of Blue and White Brothers in the books. We're looking forward to being back with you next year. Um, it's possible we would do um, some off-season podcasts, maybe, uh, not committing to it, uh, but we certainly will be back with you in August for the preseason uh, as we lead up to this highly anticipated very exciting 2023 season on the heels of this Rose Bowl. If it's win. up to me, we're going to do one probably post uh, the national letter of intent, the final one. Uh, I'd like to maybe highlight a little bit of the recruiting class, but we will see uh, if that's possible. Uh, maybe even touch on the portal players as well. Yeah, we've always talked about doing one around the uh, blue and white game as well. Yeah. So uh, no promises, but you know, don't delete us from your podcast feed um, on the off chance that uh, that that we'll be back uh, with something in the off season, but. Um, as this is our last podcast of the third season of Blue and White Brothers, uh, we did want to say a couple of thank yous uh, to those folks who've, who've most supported us. Um, first and foremost would be uh, my wife, Eileen, and uh, Tom's girlfriend, Kate. Really appreciate you guys and for how much you put up with us and taking our Penn State fandom uh, to insane levels for the average person. Uh, we know how much it's uh, had a, a disruptive effect on uh, on the on life in, at home at times and uh, so we appreciate you and thank you for giving us truly bleeding blue and white at all times yes in fact i just cut myself and yeah. look at that it's <laughs> pouring out of me blue yeah uh, but no i we're, we're really grateful to you guys also to mom and dad um you know we know you guys listen regularly and always are, are encouraging us um uh mom dad we appreciate you thanks for uh giving us the bug and uh for for keeping us going also want to say thank you to our mailbag con contributors, um, not just those who contributed today, but who contributed all season. Uh, keep them coming. Feel free to communicate with us in the off season as well. Blue and white brothers at gmail.com. Any feedback that you have, we'd always love to hear it. Also want to say big thanks to Rudy Glocker, who is a mailbag participant, but also he has gifted tickets to, to me, Andy and our family um, a couple of times last couple of years to the, you know, the whiteout. And, you know, we made a lot of memories for that, our father coming to a game, your son going to both those games, Andy. Um, can't thank you enough for that. It is truly, truly appreciated. Thank you very much, Rudy. Finally, last but certainly not least to all of you, our listeners, um, it really is fun to be able to uh, share our love of Penn State football with you. I hope you'll stick with us and um, maybe, the, maybe the gathering will grow next year. Um, but for that, 
but for now, uh, we're going to sign off uh, for the 2022 season and Penn State football. Um, bro, as always, it always starts with I love you. And it ends with I love you. And we are Penn State. And that's a wrap. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 